0: The New York Chapter of Physicians for Social Responsibility launches its What's Going On lecture series on January the 10th at 7 p.m. at the Interchurch Center, 475 Riverside Drive, New York City. Guest speaker will be Robert E. Fullalove, Ph.D., Associate Dean for Community and Minority Affairs at the Mailman School of Public Health, Columbia University, and Co-Director of the Community Research Group of the New York State Psychiatric Institute. Professor Fuller will address the question. What are the most urgent public health threats facing poor people and people of color in New York City? And how can we defend against them and why? Join us for this free event. Seating is limited and light refreshments will be served. For more information, call 212-870-2980. Come out and find out what's
1: going on. And you're listening to radio station WBAI in New York. The time is 7 o'clock on a Wednesday evening. Time for Off the Hook. The
0: telephone is ringing, so I ripped it off the wall. I cut myself while shaving.
1: And a good evening to everybody. The program is off the hook. Emmanuel Goldstein here with you back in New York after uh, traveling around Europe for the last few weeks. Uh, full cast of characters here. Uh, we are trying... Actually, we're going to try this right now, uh, live on the air. First, let me say hi to everybody and uh, welcome back and all that kind of thing. Well, we're welcoming you back. Oh, yeah, I got that wrong. Okay, yeah, I'm back. Well, thanks for welcoming me. Not, not totally back. Uh, yeah. Uh, jet lag. You know, it takes a while to get used to it. You, you go through all the... Uh, Procedures. I don't know if it's day or night. I'm not sure where I am. What's happening? I'm glad to be back, though. It's 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 good to be back in the uh, in the states. It's kind of frustrating, though. Uh, no real problems crossing. No real security issues. Although I was uh, actually Redbird, you were there uh, in Amsterdam, uh, seeing me off because you were on a later flight, and uh, you and our friends from Amsterdam were actually observing me being stopped by security almost immediately. Immediately as soon as I, I got onto line at the at the airline. Um, it was kind of interesting. What, what did you see?
2: Um, you approached, I, I guess you were asking some questions about uh, about your ticket, and I mean, immediately... No, I didn't get
1: a chance to ask anything. Okay. Cool. I just walked in, and right away, like like a bead of honey, the security guy came right over to me. And it was kind of kind of weird, because he asked me if I was checking any bags. And you know I don't like to check bags. Of course not. But I had three bags, and the limit on the airline was one. So I figured, you know, well, I might have to. And that's, that's how I answered him. I'm, well, I don't want to, but I might have to. And I guess, I don't know, he misinterpreted that, so he said, okay, come with me, and that's, that's when he took me into the back room, and uh, then he asked me which bag I was going to check, and I said, well, I, I, I don't want to check a bag, and he said, well, you just told me that you were going to check a bag, I said, no, I didn't, I, I said, I would like to not check a bag, but I have three bags, and the limit is one, so maybe I'm going to check a bag, and he said, well, if you were going to check a bag, which bag would it be, and I said, well, I guess it would be that one, so he searched that bag, <laughs> he didn't search any other bags. I mean, I don't know what kind of security that is, but it didn't seem like very stringent security. I could have pointed to any bag. He would have searched that one and not the others. So after he searched all my clothes, he put them all back, and uh, I went on my way. And that was it. That was it as far as any kind of extra security um, that I had to go through. Did you check any bags? No, no. I was able to actually get three bags on where the limit was one.
3: That's cheating.
1: And it, it saved me a lot of time, and it also saved me a lot of time on this end because when I got into this country uh which also I should point out some very interesting observations first of all it took me an hour to get into the country because of the vast amount of people that were getting off the planes um, there were two different uh two different lines this is in Newark New Jersey one line was for for all the foreigners and one line was for the Americans and very very long lines on both sides and you have uh two different sets of windows now i went to uh to to my window uh, and after waiting about 15 minutes, I finally got to the place where where you know you tell the person where you've been, he stamps your passport, looks you over, that kind of thing. Funny thing, it was a Russian guy too. So I'm, I'm answering this guy who has a very thick Russian accent as to what I was doing in Europe. Uh, it just felt kind of kind of weird. Um, and I noticed I noticed while he was asking me all these questions that you know the, the the fingerprint machinery that's such a controversy. All the foreigners that come into this country now have to be fingerprinted and have their their eyeball scanned. Those machines are on the American side too. Well, That's they can, right. They They're, can probably
3: reallocate booths. Yeah.
1: They probably can, but why would they? Why? I mean, they have they have a huge amount of windows on one side, and they have amount of windows on the other side for the Americans. I don't know. Do they ever get just foreigners coming in that they have to have all of it for for the well, foreign it, windows?
3: It, it might be at, at some point that the lines are moving too swiftly for the uh, taste of, of the Department of Homeland Security. So it's, they have to close some it's windows. Possible. You know? It's
1: possible. It's I'll, possible. I'll grant that. But, you know, I don't think it's in their interest to, to speed up the lines. I think they like having long lines. It just seems like they, they like to yell at the crowds to stay within the boundaries. And, uh, you know, speeding people up is not in their interest. People are missing flights all the time. That's just the way it is. I don't see them opening up all the windows for foreigners. Jim? I,
4: I can see instances where you'll get a plane that might only be, say, 10% uh, Americans, mm-hmm. because you know some obscure foreign holiday, people coming back from that are mostly going to be uh, people with green cards who have gone home for that holiday and not American citizens.
1: Again, so, you know, I think it's possible. Yeah, I'll, I'll, but I'll give you that. Also, but also consider this possibility that they are simply installing them all for the day when they require us to put our fingerprints and eyeballs
4: on the machine. It, it's, it's a waste to be too paranoid before you have any sort of indication. I don't think I the think word
1: paranoid can apply anymore. I, all I, right? They're already scanning people's eyeballs when they come into the country well, and taking their fingerprints. I don't think we can be paranoid anymore. I think but it's a question of really like
4: It's like toll booths on the turnpike. Okay, They're all identical. They're not all used for identical things necessarily. Yes,
1: but they all can take easy pass now on the New Jersey side.
4: Right, but they don't and all. And one day they way. will in
1: New York. All right, and I don't think it's being paranoid to, to assume that's going to happen. Oh boy all right, well, red do you had uh, no, I was just
0: going to say I mean theoretically if you had a flight come off, and all the Americans have come through, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have just these three unused booths you could you could open it up for for more people to
1: come through. and and that's what the guy said. I asked him, and he said well i don't I don't think so i mean i am asking this guy with the thick russian accent if if we're going to use the fingerprints for American citizens, he says, possibly, but I don't think so all right that's the official word from Homeland security there um you know I mean, do you really believe that? The day will never come when they use fingerprint scanners on American citizens entering the country. I, I
0: think they'll probably have a national identification card that has that information first.
1: Interesting you should say that, because as of January 1st, the country where I thought such a thing would never happen, the Netherlands, it happened. January 1st, people are now required to carry identification cards at all times. And that's pretty scary. And people are already being stopped over there and asked for their for their papers on the train coming back from Germany. Redbird, you were there for this. Uh, the, we we had uh, customs officials from Holland go through the train. They even they, they came to me, of course, as they always do, and they wanted to see my papers, my my passport, I guess. And uh, our Dutch friends uh, were were pretty much uh, of the belief that this was kind of a show of force to uh, to drive home the point that everybody needs to be carrying identification or they will get a lecture and, and later a fine. Well, they stopped
2: questioning you immediately after uh, our friends told them uh, that that you were with them. Yes,
1: they, a, they a few code really words, and uh, and, and <laughs> I was on my way. But yeah, it's it's weird because you hardly ever see law enforcement of any sort over there, and yet I'm seeing sort of an increase. It's very strange walking around the streets and uh, never seeing any
2: cops. I mean, I, don't get me wrong; they're they you know they're armed uh, cops in the airports and. Uh, very few other places, but for the most part, I mean, there's there's no cops at all. New Year's.
1: Uh, that's right. You got to see New Year's in Amsterdam. Yeah. Like I've done the last few years. Yeah, you were there last year. Yeah. That's um, it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, one final thing about entering the country, though. Uh, after after I went through the um, uh, I guess that's passport control, right? The first part, and then customs comes after. Uh, you go to the baggage claim area. Now I didn't have any baggage to claim, but there were throngs of people there, and they were all queuing up, and there was a huge, huge line. And all these people were getting upset about missing their flights. And so finally, I got to this this um, this lady who was just taking uh, the cards that you fill out when you enter the country, saying if you uh, uh, what your name is, if you have anything to declare, that kind of thing. And uh, she was just taking the cards and telling people where to go. And I I said I have nothing. I, I'm not. I don't have any bags, and I'm not waiting for a flight. So she said, okay, just go through that door. That door was the exit. There was nobody, and and even if there was somebody, there was no way to check anybody at any further state. So I think there's a, there's a slight opening there. If it's really, really crowded, it all falls apart, and they, they can't check anybody when they're coming into the country, because there are just so many people there. So they just basically, everybody who didn't have bags to claim simply was, was sent to the exit. Never happened to me before like that. Very mysterious. Yeah.
2: Now, uh, I noticed also that the equipment that they seem to be using to scan your iris is... uh is like, it looked like a cheap $20 webcam. It
1: did,
3: it did.
2: And if you notice, uh, while you're talking to the agent, you're looking directly into it. (laughs) So, I mean, they could be scanning it without you even
1: knowing. I looked down on the floor. I was looking down. eyes cast Now, you went into JFK. Yes. Now, did you notice the same thing where those those devices were at all the... uh, All of them, yes, even the one I went through. Now, okay, right there, right there, that's extremely efficient, that in two airports, they've covered all the windows, and every single window has one. And I, I maintain that efficiency is not something that uh, these guys are good at. So they, they've got an agenda.
0: Now, could it be? I mean, well, is that system that system is maintained by the Department of Homeland Security? Is not like the airport has to install
1: it? No, it's 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 DHS. Okay, it's,
0: because it's, I would say otherwise, maybe the airports are just
1: just in case. They don't want to have to pay twice. And it's, it's the same machinery, too, that, that you see at both airports. But if anyone else has any uh, experiences with this, please let us know. We, we'd certainly like to know about that. And, of course, any uh, DHS agents out there who listen to the show who like to feed us information, please continue to do so because... We certainly like to, uh, uh, to learn, as does everybody. Now, um, Redbird, you have some information here from somebody who also was able to scan part of their, their boarding pass. Now, you scanned your boarding pass. You were flagged on the way over there yes. with four S's. Right. And you actually were able to run it to the bathroom with a barcode scanner, scan the thing, and get some extra digits out of it.
2: Right. There, uh-huh. was, uh, there, was, there were some uh, unknown... Uh, data that we read last week that uh, that we didn't know exactly what it was. Do and also, have,
1: do you have that data with you?
2: Uh, I can get it. In. Okay,
1: we we'll see, we'll read the secret numbers again. So far, nobody has cracked the code. But basically, what happened was Redbird was flagged with the four S's, which people are flagged with if they're deemed to be uh, worthy of an additional security check. Now, there's a period of time when you get the boarding pass and go through security to when you actually have to give it up to the uh, to the airline where they rip it in half. And that particular period of time is when the magnetic strip can be read, preferably in the in the men's room when <laughs> nobody else will see you doing it. Uh, once you give it up, you don't have access to that data anymore. So we have the data for this one particular one, and so far we don't have anybody else who's given us that particular data. I know it's a lot to ask. Now, what are the extra digits?
2: Well, the, on on track two, which was uh, which didn't contain any data on the uh, on the the one that I wasn't flagged on, uh, contains a C one three one nine zero dash two. And then uh and then six asterisks. So that's the unknown data for the uh for the flagged ticket.
1: Okay. Interesting.
2: So if also anybody th- knows what
1: that means, please let us know.
2: Right. Also on track one, um of both these tickets, the one where I was flagged has an S after your seat number and the one where I wasn't flagged
1: has a G. So it's possible it's stop and go, but it might be something else. Who knows? Possibly. Uh, now we have somebody else who wrote in and has managed to scan some other part of their ticket. Yes, tell us uh, what this. We is. have
2: all right. I'll read the letter. Uh, hey guys, inspired by Redbirds boarding pass investigation of last week, I used a simple software-based uh, barcode reader. There's a URL for that. I could read uh, read later to read the codes on two boarding passes that I have. One pass has the four S's of additional security, and the other does not. They are passes for two legs of a single trip printed at a check-in kiosk at the airport at the same time. Interestingly. There is no difference between the two except the flight number and seat number. No indication within the barcode of uh, of the additional security. When they scanned the code, I was um, as I boarded the aircraft. However, the computer required the attendant to confirm the search, much like they do if you're seated in an exit row. The screen said, "Search complete. Yes, no, or something to that effect." Uh, the barcode on the pass with the S's uh, contained the following, and then uh, this is the data. It's the uh, it's the person's last name, P two zero two. Two three four three one six B, and then in parentheses code one twenty eight. Uh, this is my last name, first initial, flight number, three four three, uh, my seat number, and an unknown code. Code well, code one twenty eight being uh. the, the um, type of barcode it is. Okay, right. Yeah. Uh, the other passes is code contained the same thing, uh, s- the same last name, P zero seven seven four three four three one five D. Uh, different flight number and different seat, but other than that, they were the same.
1: Okay, so uh, no difference. No difference in a flagged uh, a boarding pass barcode. Not as far as you can play. tell
2: from the uh, barcode.
1: And that tells me that the information isn't in the barcode. Probably which, not. Yeah, it makes a degree of it's sense. But the, the magnetic strip, it's, uh, it's in the four <laughs> S's too. Well, some, know, of
2: the, some of the boarding passes also don't have mag- yeah, yeah, magnetic that's barcodes.
1: That's mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're learning. We're learning a lot about the system and how it operates. We just don't know exactly why it operates. Uh, okay, and now we have this uh, this other development, uh, computerized passports. They're going to be introduced um, as early as, uh, as, as, well, it says here next spring. I'm not sure if that means the spring coming up. Yeah, I guess that would be next spring, not this spring,
0: right? Computerized being that they have a chip in them?
1: Yeah, um, before the end of the year. Okay, so it is this spring. The first U.S. biometric passport will be issued with a tiny computer chip an antenna embedded inside it. The chip will contain a digital image of the person's face, along with other information such as name, birthdate, and birthplace. The data on the chip can be picked up wirelessly using a radio signal. Ah, there is the rub. When the traveler enters the United States, border control officials will snap a digital photo of the person, scan the data from the passport, and run a facial recognition software program to compare the two images. This is American citizens, by the way. Uh, the system is designed to prevent forged passports by making sure the original passport holder and the person standing at the immigration counter are one and the same. Now, what is the problem? The problem is the technical standard chosen for the system leaves passport data unprotected. The technology allows data on the chip to be read remotely using radio frequency identification or RFID. That means the passport does not have to be opened or even come in contact with a scanning device. Its contents can be read remotely. Some estimates claim as far away as 30 feet without the passport holder knowing anything about it. Now, what are they suggesting you do to protect yourself? Oh, oh, I know. All right, what is it, Red Hat? Wrap it in tinfoil. That's right. Walk around with your passport wrapped in tinfoil. That's what we're going to be doing in the months ahead. Uh, Redbird, you brought back something interesting from uh, from overseas at the CCC Congress. What, what was it?
2: Yes, it was a uh, an RFID reader detector, which is uh, kind of interesting. It's a uh, it, it looks like it's just a loop of wire, but it's it's a loop of wire uh, capacitor which resonates at the frequency of RFID, which is thirteen point five six, if I recall correctly, megahertz. And then uh, there's an LED, which is powered by the current, induced by uh, by the reader itself. So you can uh, kind of hold this little uh, loop, which kind of looks like a bracelet, uh, next to an RFID reader, and it'll light up if it is indeed an RFID yeah, hold reader. That,
4: hold that up to the microphone. Wow, so, look at that. So it looks just like those copper bracelets that people use to combat arthritis, uh, but actually it's a little induction coil that you can wear as a bracelet to get through all sorts of security checkpoints. With a little hidden RFID, uh, little hidden LED on it, which isn't that well hidden because it's got what looks like scotch tape over it. So if security looks at this and thinks it's a anti arthritis bracelet, they're going to wonder what that scotch tape is doing there. It's they're also possible. going to wonder why it lights
1: up when you walk past them. Yeah. <laughs> That's another, yeah, even more so. Interesting. Now uh, it has lit, lit up for you since you got into this country. Oh yeah,
4: you can
2: uh, you can check it at like standard RFID readers, like uh, security. Uh, readers at the exits of uh, places like Staples or any other...
1: Uh You've actually had it light up. Oh, yeah. We were. were trying to get it to light up in Europe, and we were having well, no success. They, they,
2: they don't have as much security there, uh-huh. it doesn't seem like. so.
1: Interesting. Great. And uh, these things were available at the CCC Congress. Hopefully, yes. Uh, we'll have them in various other places, too. I'm sure at What the Hack this, uh, this summer. Which, by the way, uh, Mike, I think you have some information on What the Hack, right? No, you have it. I handed it to you. Yeah, but I handed it back. We, why did you hand it back? It has a phone number in on it. Oh, you can't write on these things. <laughs> uh, okay, why don't you tell us about what the hack will I... Uh... Oh, you know the information I need is on that. <laughs> this is very complicated. This is... Uh, okay, I, can I, have, just... I have it in my head now. Oh,
3: Okay, well, what the hack, as as we uh, had an announcement last week, is a, uh, is a conference uh, that will be coming up uh, this summer in uh, Den Bosch, which is... Uh, I'm pronouncing it wrong, but it's in the Netherlands. Uh, it's from July 28 to 31, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, if you missed the uh, the conference uh, four years ago, HAL 2001, well, this is your chance to go to something else that uh, will be just as good, if not better. If you missed the CCC camp uh, three years ago, uh, well, then this is a chance to, uh, was it three years ago, two years ago? A year and a half you year and a half ago. Okay. Well, it will be two years ago by the time this happens. Okay. Uh, and that was the German camp. If you missed that, well, this is going to be great as well. So uh, definitely plan for your calendar. There's no hope this year. No hope conference, that is. There's always hope. And uh, we're planning on a hope next year. So these things alternate with each other, and it'll be a lot of fun. Again, uh, www.whatthehack.org. That's hack, not heck. I don't know what you get if you go there. Something else.
0: Um This, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just looking at the bracelet. So it just looks like an LED connected to an, indu- you know, a simple inductor made out of out of wire. So I mean, if we just got the dimensions of this, we could we could tell how to. There's a
2: capacitor too.
0: Oh, is there a capacitor. Yes. I can't see inside the two. Yeah, but I mean, we could. Yeah, you can make them pretty easily. Yeah, anyone. It looks like something anyone could make uh, with the right.
1: It's, it's an right example right of, of the kinds of things that were going on at the conference where people were just coming up with these really crazy neat devices. What are some of the other things? Uh, the pinball machine that was playing itself.
2: Oh, yes, that was very cool.
1: That was really cool. A mechanical pinball machine, and it was, it was playing itself and, uh, and, and keeping the ball from going down the middle. Not hardware, all the time, though.
2: Hardware Pong as well. Uh, it was on Slashdot, actually, I remember. And uh, they, they, they had it there. It's great. It's What's amazing. Hardware Pong? It's like a relay computer. It's not, uh, you know, nothing modern. <laughs> and so it's very cool. It'll survive an EMP anyway. Mm-hmm. uh so it's 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 really just a, a relay computer what you can play pong on it it's great
1: uh-huh. fascinating okay, we should do something else uh, this week uh, Bernie s is in Thailand uh he uh went ahead and went down to uh to uh, Thailand last week as you recall he was on his way to the uh, to the airport and we understand he has arrived in Thailand. we've gotten a couple pieces of email from him uh and we've programmed uh that uh that toll free number of ours to go where he is. We're having a little bit of trouble reaching him. We're going to keep trying to reach him. But, Mike, maybe you could tell us something about the uh, toll-free service because we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, and we were bombarded with emails from people that wanted to know more about it. Tell us how it works and give people a website they can go to.
3: Sure. The, the way it works, as, as we've said, is that there is a, 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 a service that we have which allows us to control this toll-free number. So we can go on a website and, and change where the ring happens when you dial this number.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it might not sound like uh, you know like magic, but it really. Uh, imagine this: try forwarding your home phone to a number overseas. You can't do it. It's very difficult to do that. You certainly can't forward your cell phone. Uh, you can bring your cell phone overseas, but let's say you're in a situation like I was in, where I'm in a foreign country and I want to do the radio show. Uh, it can be very expensive if you call a cell phone over there. I think it's like a dollar a minute roaming charges you have to pay. Uh and of course if you call a number overseas, then that gets expensive too. This is cheap because it's a it's a it's a low price per minute, it's something like five cents a minute or eight cents a minute to certain foreign countries, more expensive to others, like Thailand, that's yeah, gonna be an yeah, expensive yeah. one. Uh but um as long as you call a landline, that's the trick. If you call a landline, if you're staying in a hotel or at a friend's house, it's very cheap. You call a cell phone, it gets a little bit more expensive. Which we're gonna do. Yeah, yeah. we're we, we're calling a cell phone? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, well, it'll be exciting. Okay.
3: And, and But people are people have been barring us with emails wanting to know uh, the, the company that provides the service. Because we forgot their name. Right. But I've remembered their name, and their website is aitelephone.com.
1: Couldn't remember aitelephone.com?
3: Well, I know the name of the com- company is something telephonics, so I didn't know if, if the URL was
1: telephone or telephonics. Okay, so that should be it. I mean, people should be remember AITElephone.com, artificial intelligence or something like that. Who knows? All right, so uh, what this uh, sound means is that we're about to try calling over, over to this, uh, this uh, number. All right, and uh, we're going to hear a recording first telling us that our call is being transferred or processed, and uh, if the call succeeds, we'll get for an S., If it fails, we'll get another recording. See what happens.
5: Your call is being connected. Okay.
1: Okay, that's a tie ring. Hello, Bernie S. Hello, Bernie S. C- can you hear us, Bernie S?
5: nothing uh, yet.
1: Okay, I, I think I'm having a little trouble Come. here, uh, Bernie. Let's let's try this. I'll, I'll ask you a question, and then I'll wait for your answer, however long that might take. Uh, can you hear my voice? That doesn't sound like Sorry, you, Bernie.
5: There is no acknowledgement from your requested number.
1: Well wow, what do you mean there's no acknowledgement? I just talked to him. Just because he didn't answer the question. Cut him
5: off? off. Sorry. There is no acknowledgement from your requested number.
1: Alright, you know that's that's awfully uh here here this, this one over here is ringing. This might be Bernie. Bernie, is this you? That doesn't sound like him either, but I think he's trying to reach us, uh, and we're trying to reach him, so, uh, all right, if that if that line lights up again, somebody could answer it off there, um, and maybe if you can get the people in the studio to keep picking it up to not pick it up, that would make things a lot easier, too. Um, all right, we'll see what happens. Uh, okay, we have other news stories as well. Bernie, though, is down there in Thailand. We're going to try and, um, and reach him and see what's going on over there and what kind of... Uh, stories he might have. Um, Mike, maybe you want to handle the phone, since Jim seems to be afraid of it. We had uh, some information on Arthur C. Clark, who apparently is okay. If you go to www.planetary.org, news, 2004, slash underscore 1229.html, you'll hear Arthur C. Clark's story about uh, what happened during the tsunami over there. And is that Bernie? You guys have to pick up the phone. What, what's he waiting for?
4: Okay. Uh, Arthur C. Clark can also be. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, also Arthur C. Clark can also be found at clarkfoundation.org. That's Clark with an e at the end. Foundation.org. Mm-hmm. Okay. All
1: right, guys. If you pick up the phone in less than thirty seconds, you might have a chance of getting him. So uh, maybe Mike should sit near the phone, since you don't want to touch the phone. All right. Um And we have other kinds of uh, tsunami news as well, including this story that that appeared yesterday in the Herald Tribune. I read this on the airplane, and I thought this was pretty interesting. Uh, When the tsunami hit uh, Sri Lanka, uh, people found they couldn't make phone calls on their mobile phones uh, or even regular landlines. But guess what they could do? They could send and receive text messages from cell phones. So what they are um, what they are looking at right now is the possibility of using SMS technology to warn people about situations like the tsunami, where a lot of people didn't know what was going on. Experts say that thousands of deaths might have been avoided if warning systems had been in place to alert the people around the rim of the Indian Ocean of the tsunami. No such system exists there now. And I don't know if a system really exists here either that would uh, get to us quickly. Um, those who design and use the wireless technology known as short message service or SMS currently used for chatter and advertisements say it could be used to jumpstart governments nationwide and regional warning networks. Uh, this tragedy is going to put this more to the forefront, said Greg Wilfart, uh, co-founder of SMS.ac a company that sells text message services in more than 170 countries and has millions of subscribers in India, Malaysia, and Indonesia alone. The technology is wildly popular worldwide and has accompanied the international boom in mobile phone use where wireless technology helped nations to leapfrog antiquated governmental telephone networks. Even in parts of the developing world, mobile phones are everywhere. Almost half the Malaysian population uses them, according to a recent survey released by the Malaysian Communications and Multimedia Commission. 3 out of 4 of the more than 12 million subscribers send and receive text messages according to the survey. We'll have a little more on that later. Bernie, are you with us?
5: Yes, I'm on an on the island, on an island off the coast of Cambodia right now.
1: Okay, you sound pretty good. Um so tell us uh, what you've experienced in the week that uh, that you've been over there.
5: It's a, been a pretty bizarre and adventurous week here in Thailand. Um, there's been some uh Odd events, uh, related to the, uh, tsunami disaster, um, off, uh, near the island of Phuket where I was going to be right now, but, uh, for obvious reasons, it's not a good idea for me to go there. Um, there's this weird, uh, uh dispute over the use of technology. Uh, the country is, uh, uh, implanting, uh, RFID microchips into the heads of uh, all the non-Asian bodies that are being recovered. Uh, Approximately 1,000 bodies have uh, been implanted, uh, the heads have been implanted with these uh, RFID microchips uh, encoded with information like uh, uh, where the body was found, um, the date and time it was found, um, any identifying marks like tattoos, scars, that sort of thing, because those things might not last if. Uh, if the flesh starts rotting. I'm sorry for this, it sounds rather bleak. But, uh, the, the controversy is not just that, but the, uh, the non-Asian bodies, presumably, so presumably ties, um, are not being, uh, not being refrigerated. So just the, apparently the government is just just refrigerating the tourist bodies, who are apparently tourist bodies, uh, and bearing the, the, the ties of the locals in, uh, you know, quickly without uh, any identifying information. Um, in some cases, in mass graves. So it's this really bizarre use of RFID technology, and uh, I think maybe the reason the government is doing this is because, uh, uh, for economic reasons, the uh, the tourists here spend a lot of money, while uh, the average Thai makes a, a equivalent of about fifty five dollars a year. And each tourist probably spends that much in a day. There aren't very many American tourists here, almost none at all, but a lot from Scandinavia and uh, Western Europe.
1: Is is there a particular method they're using to discover whether somebody washing up on the shore is a tourist or a native, just uh, the way they they, they look perhaps?
5: Uh, apparently, uh, yes, just, just from their physical appearance. I mean, there's nothing else to go on uh, unless they might have had some identifying documents with them that... that that weren't washed out of their clothing, the fact that they were wearing anything other than a than a swimsuit. Um but uh you know that's that's not likely that they're gonna have documents on them. So they're just making judgment call. This looks like it could could be a tourist, so we'll refrigerate this body and put a microchip in its head um for a later identification so that you know their their family can reclaim the bodies. Whereas uh the Asian bodies, um or apparently Thai bodies are not uh, not being uh, tagged or refrigerated, and just uh, quickly buried. And there's been a lot of controversy about that. It was reported on Deutsche Welle uh, news last night. And uh, there aren't very many English-language newspapers here. There's just there's just two: the Bangkok Post and uh, something called the Nation, which is actually pretty good, not not to be confused with the magazine called the Nation in the U.S. But neither of those papers are available on this island where I am. I'm just getting onto a ferry in a few minutes here uh, to taking it to a, a Small airstrip uh, called Trat, and from there uh, I'll be taking a, a, a small prop plane to Bangkok, and then from there another prop plane to uh, Surat Thani, which is uh, in southern Thailand, and then I'll be taking a, a, a long railroad trip from there back to Bangkok. I know that sounds circuitous, but uh, I want to uh, I want to go up along the coastline uh, on a railroad, which is probably a ten-hour trip, just to see what can be seen
4: is this
1: the coastline that was affected
5: no it's uh well part of it may be um it's at some point it gets narrow primarily it'll be the uh the eastern coastline which was not as affected um, but the western coastline i think will be catching parts of that um but primarily i wanted to see uh, as much of this country as possible and uh going by railroads seemed to be the best way to do that
1: can can you tell us something about the mood of the country right now? Obviously, they've they suffered a tremendous loss, but how is that uh, manifesting itself in, in day-to-day life?
5: It's uh, quite somber, understandably. I mean, this, the scope of this is is really mind-boggling. I mean, you can imagine, you can, we can all remember what 9-11 was like to us, where 3,000 of our people were, were killed suddenly. Um, here, not just in Thailand, but uh, in all of Southeast Asia, uh, in, in India, Indonesia, um, hundreds of thousands of people were killed, um, well over 100,000, probably close to 200 at this point. And there's a lot of these people they just can't find, which may end up being the case forever. But, um, the New Year's uh, celebrations in, in Bangkok, where I was, uh, the day I landed, uh, January 30, or December 31st, uh, the Prime Minister announced that, uh, there should be no New Year's celebrations, uh, in, in light of the, the tsunami disaster, which is quite understandable. So there was, a, un, in stark contrast to uh, uh, my New Year's in Amsterdam, which was just a, an amazing uh, celebration. There really was no celebration here um, in Bangkok um, due to uh, the somber mood, which is quite understandable.
1: Absolutely. Um,
5: a- another thing I wanted to mention is this is a much smaller country. I don't know what the population of Thailand is, but it's a, you know, it's a fraction of, uh, of the United States. So uh, as a percentage of the overall population, this was a, in a, um, you know thousands and uh, probably about 5,000 people were killed in Thailand alone, um, many of them tourists, and which is really their economic mainstay here. Mm-hmm. Um, you can imagine the, uh, the, the 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 scope and the size of the laws here uh, compared to our 9/11. And I'm I'm not sure what kind of coverage this is getting uh, in the U.S. I know it's been covered, but maybe not to the extent that 9/11 was. I heard uh, that yesterday on Dogeville, uh there was an announcement that there would be a, a three-minute uh, period of silence uh, around the world uh, honoring the, uh, the dead here. Is that correct?
1: Well, I do know that that took place in Europe. Cities throughout uh, Europe uh, um, observed three minutes of silence yesterday. I don't know if that happened in the United States. I wasn't actually here. People here are shaking their heads, so I don't think anybody knows about it. Um, it's interesting because I think, as, as always, we've sort of... Uh, put this aside and are focusing on our trivial day-to-day matters, which is unfortunate because this is certainly a tragedy that uh, affects, I think, every corner of the world in some way. Uh, Bernie, what is it that people over there need? How can we help? Do you have a sense as to uh, the best way we can do that?
5: Uh, really, all the international aid organizations are, are uh, urging people to really send money um, because it's just not feasible for people to send um, send supplies, the cost to transport them and get them in the right hands is it really exceeds the cost of uh, of the supplies themselves, so it's just not cost effective. But uh, major relief organizations that uh, that have an infrastructure here like the Red Cross, Doctors Without Borders, Care, there's some others, um, are are really worth supporting and making fairly, probably put the aid to best use um, with just with just dollars or whatever currency you Happen to have, um, so they all have websites. You can they can be easily looked up on the internet, and uh, this is you know it, apparently the political uh, uh, support from countries not, like the United States is not nearly what is going to be necessary to to help uh, uh, address the situation. Um, it's it's not just like what's the point? What's the point? People are dead already. There's nothing that can be spent to bring them back, but there uh, the post disaster situation with all the disease due to there being no no health infrastructure, no uh no clean water, no food, um, no communications. Um that uh that needs immediate uh need to be addressed immediately. So anybody that can lend financial support that way um is good. I, I happen to be coming to this area so I brought a lot of medical supplies with me and uh dropped them off at a a drop off center in the outskirts of Thailand where there is a huge mountain of Donated supplies. It was, it was amazing. There were some Red Cross people there, and it was just, just piles and piles of plastic bags full of medical supplies, clothing, uh, bottles of, you know, bottle, just pallets and pallets and pallets of bottled water ready to be, uh, uh, flown, uh, down to the Phuket area. So, uh, it was encouraging to see that much aid, but I'm sure that was a small fraction of what's needed.
1: Absolutely. And as you said, money is probably the, the best way to, uh, to get what, uh, what is needed there. Uh, now I know both ap- apple.com and amazon.com have links to, uh, the American red cross, uh, eBay's allowing sellers to donate, uh, 10 to a hundred percent of their proceeds to UNICEF. And, uh, there's all kinds of other things going on online as well. So, uh, there's certainly no, uh, no lack of ways for you to contribute. So please, we, we urge people to do that. Bernie, what's, what's ahead for you? What are you planning, uh, apart from you're going over to, to Bangkok, I know, but, uh, uh are you going to be looking at anything specifically, any uh any any parts of this trip that um, might not be affected by the disaster?
5: Um well as I mentioned uh, I'm heading to Bangkok uh taking a ferry to the Trat Airstrip and then Bangkok and then another prop plane to uh Suratani and uh, southern Thailand and then the railroad tomorrow uh, back to Bangkok, which is about a ten hour trip, then uh, one more night back in Bangkok and then uh, back to the States. Um, some of the things I have noticed here when I was I spent the first few days here in Bangkok um, before coming down here to uh, to the islands, and uh, I was really amazed, and continue to be amazed by the, the technical savvy of a lot of the Thai people. Um, uh, here on this island, there's a there's not much of a communications infrastructure from a standpoint of a wired wireline phone lines, but uh, they have a pretty good GSM infrastructure, which I'm using right now. I I, I bought a, a a phone for 2600 baht last night. that baht is their unit of currency. A baht is worth about two and a half cents um, to us. So it was about a sixty five dollar phone purchase and I bought a SIM card for it from a woman who had a uh, at a little internet uh cafe. She she proudly showed me her collection of uh, used SIM cards. She had probably about a thousand SIM cards, which all have different like motifs, like cartoon characters and movies all kinds of stuff on them. She was very proud showing me that. And uh her internet cafe its its connectivity was a a satellite uh, DSL connection, and uh, everybody here who has internet connects internet connectivity has so via satellite from this island. Uh, there is a uh, like a microwave link from this island to uh, to the mainland of Thailand, which uh, provides you know some other uh, connectivity. But it seems like all the internet cafes and hotels are exclusively connected uh, uh, via satellite to the internet. And they use GSM phones, and the link to the GSM network is via microwave over the uh, over the, the water to uh, to the mainland.
1: It's interesting because right before we uh, we started talking to you, we were talking about the uh, how SMS uh, can play parts. Uh, in alerting people to disasters. I know last week you mentioned that had they only sent the alert over, say, CNN or something, a lot more people might have known about the impending tsunami and maybe had gotten out in time, but that that hadn't been done. Uh, What's being uh, proposed now is that um, people use SMS technology to warn people because almost everybody, they say three out of four of of the more than 12 million subscribers um, over in Malaysia, for instance, send and receive text messages uh, according to this guy at the uh, Asia-Pacific Research Group, Steve O'Rourke, Grass Valley, California, he says, the way they use the cell phones over there it makes us look like amateurs. I could be riding an elephant in the middle of Thailand and my phone would work. Now, Bernie, yeah, you, have, fact, you have to do uh, that now.
5: As matter of fact, I was riding an elephant in the middle of Thailand uh, yesterday. All right. Then. And uh, <laughs> uh, right where, I, where the elephants were being kept, people were using their GSM phones and sending uh, SMS messages. It was just an amazing... Uh, contrast in in technologies.
1: Now, imagine that. Uh, Everybody, not everybody is on the Internet, obviously, and if if they are on the Internet, they're not on the Internet all the time. I can't look at my email right now. Uh, Certainly not everybody has a television set, and certainly not everybody can watch TV all the time, but most people seem to have a phone on them, on their person. So if that phone were to beep and say, a tsunami is on the way, the word would get out, and those people who didn't have phones, they'd hear about it from the people next to them who did and it just seems like um i can't think of a single reason why the technology shouldn't be used in that in that method of course it could be abused you know uh by by governments for all kinds of reasons but i think for something of this nature it definitely should be in place uh, can you think of a reason why it shouldn't think, be
5: uh, there was a lot of talk about this right after 9/11 that we need some sort of a uh, method to alert everybody by cell phones that things are happening or whatever but uh i don't think that came to pass in the US and uh um, it's going to be a long time, I think, before it comes to pass here. Um, well, they were talking about stupid
1: things like the color code changing of the alert system. I don't mean things like yeah. that. I mean real disasters like this, mm-hmm. where lives could be saved. You know, that it seems to me like that uh, it doesn't require much uh, much thinking to realize that's a a, a damn good idea. Even
5: uh, even young people here, younger. I've seen people here, ties, uh, children carrying around cell phones that are typically younger than the children I see in the United States. Carrying a, you know GSM phone so it's 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 a, a widespread technology especially in an island like this where there's no no traditional uh, communications infrastructure um, something else uh, I noticed about uh, Thailand uh, spe- specifically in the in the Bangkok area but also uh, here in the, here on the island where I am now is uh, uh, the, the the really the, the, the how they treat intellectual property it's basically a free-for-all um i have never seen in my life so many uh counterfeit uh music cd's and counterfeit dvd's both movies and video games um you can buy a uh uh a a, a a very good knockoff of an audio cd for 100 baht and uh which is uh you know a couple dollars and you can buy a, a dvd uh, a a direct digital dupl- duplicate of a dvd here with any movie, even movies that just came out, for equivalent of about $4. And there's these stands everywhere around, uh, sections of Bangkok, just selling thousands and thousands of these things. It's just amazing, um seeing this intellectual property free-for-all, which I guess, uh, uh, like the MPAA and the RIAA have not uh, really addressed here in this country very much, maybe because it's just not a major market. I'm not sure. but... Um, basically, anybody can 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 buy any intellectual property they want. That's uh, from a digital media standpoint here for for very little money.
0: I just wanted to say about the uh, the SMS idea. I mean, it, it's it sort of just sounds like extending the emergency broadcast system that they have in place for not extending, not you know not the same technology, but the idea of it that they have in place for television. No, you're watching television, and if there's an emergency, although I think it's only the broadcast channels that do that, not not cable or I it think it's good.
5: cable and not everybody is watching is watching right. television or listening to the radio all right the time. but a lot of but people have everybody who has a cell phone carries it with them all the time
1: the problem yeah. is in this country and I've noticed this because I was just traveling overseas people in this country just are not savvy enough with uh, things like SMS uh, we, we don't text message each other as, as often or as efficiently as people in other parts of the world do instead we make phone calls loud phone calls lengthy phone calls wasteful phone calls when uh, a simple one or two words Word message might suffice to 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 get something across, and you know, ask yourself uh, on on your phone if you have a cell phone. You're listening to us in the United States. Do you know how to SMS? Is it is it easy for you? Is it? Do they make you jump through hoops to do this? A lot of people use phone companies where it's difficult, and they 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 make it as hard as possible, and it's also expensive. I've had people tell me don't don't send me text messages because it costs me too much money. <laughs> it should cost less money to get a text message and a phone call, or it shouldn't cost anything at well, all. Uh, the 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 right, thing with the Sprint one of
5: the worst offenders for not supporting SMS for years. Up until about a year or so ago, they didn't even support standard SMS messaging. Yeah, um, which is standard with almost every other carrier. And even now, to use it, you have to do this go log onto their goofy wireless web thing. There's a log on procedure, and that takes a, a, quite a few seconds. And then it's just this really awkward method of doing it with Sprint TCS. So um, some of the other carriers are better, but I, I think it really comes down to Americans. They're not demanding this like other other people in other countries are. And I can see a six-year-old kid here panning out uh, SMS messages with, you know, you can hardly see their fingers. They're flying so fast, um, panning out SMS messages. It's, you know, there's no reason Americans can't do the same thing.
0: Well, the thing about it in the States is generally with the providers, it's an, it's, it's an extra. I, th- I think in Europe and other countries it's just... You know, you can send SMS and it doesn't cost you anything. And in the states, it's actually an extra thing, so everybody has to. You know, if you don't pay a certain amount per month to have a certain number of text messages, then you're paying per message. And and I, I just think people don't want to deal with that. Whereas in other countries, it's as I've seen it, it's generally just free. You know, whatever. because it doesn't it doesn't really cost the phone company anything. But here, for for me, for example, I don't have I don't have. You know, I, I pay per message if I use it. So I'd rather just someone call me because I have. How you know eight hundred minutes a month that I'm never going to use? Um, so I think that's pr- maybe a reason why uh,
5: it also hasn't caught on here.
1: But Bernie, are you able to receive text messages on the phone that that you have now?
5: Yes, I did receive a test. I only received one text, one test text message from this uh, woman named Ma'am who I purchased the phone okay. from. Okay, well, yesterday. I
1: just sent you one this very second, so let, let us know if you oh. get it uh, while well, this show is still going on because I'm, it's uh, it's it's good to be able to uh, message people.
5: Well, has not appeared on the handset yet, and I'm not sure uh, if it's set for a mode where it will display that a new message is here while I'm talking on the phone.
1: Okay. Well, if it, if it doesn't, just let me know at some point if you, if you get it. It's, it's nice to know yeah, yeah. the technology works.
5: We're, I'm literally on the other side of the planet from, uh, from where you are in New York. We're 12, 12 hours uh, time zone difference. So it's, uh, it's about, uh, 10 minutes, what is it, about 10 minutes to 8 uh, Tuesday night there now?
1: Yes. And, uh, in fact, we, we were thinking of taking some phone calls. Do you think you might be up for that?
5: Uh, absolutely, it's about ten minutes to eight in the morning Thursday here right now. But yeah, uh, let's let's take some calls.
1: Okay. Well, Mike has something to say first.
3: I would just like to ask the people who who think that this conversation is a good time to text message me right now to please stop it.
1: Who's text messaging you? People. Oh. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So let's 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 uh, let's keep this civil anyway. Two one two two zero nine two nine hundred is our phone number. Also, you know, there's something else that happened uh, while I was away, which I'm I'm thrilled about. Um, we were talking about how people aren't aware of what's going on in the world. Uh, well, here at least in New York City, people have more of an opportunity to know what's going on in the world because uh, the, the local cable company now carries CNN International. Which, Bernie, you're over there in in Thailand, you probably get to see that. Uh, that's
5: Actually, I was uh, in Bangkok. I was, but not uh, not on this island of uh, Koh Chang. Uh-huh. Uh, but I am able to get Deutsche Welle in English uh, on short and on uh, on a uh, the, like the uh, the satellite reception at the uh, the bungalow on here. Oh,
1: great. So you can see German news in English. Yes. All right, we're not quite at that stage yet, but um, getting CNN International means that you get international news around the clock, which is something that is a rarity in this country. So if you're in New York City and you get cable, instead of watching CNN on Channel 10, watch CNN on Channel 133 and just notice the difference and uh, get back That's to us. Better. Yeah, let us know if you, if you can see that uh, maybe you'll learn a lot more. I just hope they keep this up. I know DirecTV dropped it. Uh, and uh, they don't have it anymore. So if, if maybe we can get this uh, nationwide, and people will learn more about what's going on in the world. Right now, you know, they have tsunami coverage, and it's very interesting, and you learn quite a bit. I turned to domestic CNN, and it was President Bush making jokes at a press conference. Ah, it's just uh, kind of sad. All right, let's take a uh, phone call, two 209 2900 talking to Bernie S. in Thailand. And good evening. You're on the air. oh uh, there's a... Uh
3: I'm on the Google News and I did a search. There's a Reuters article and I think there's about 143 others. Just to give you a few second summary, it just, the heading is, Israeli company offers free tsunami alert system. An Israeli company said on Monday it planned to distribute free to Asian countries hit by last week's tsunami a device uh, it says could save lives by warning holiday makers directly that a tidal wave was coming. The system directed by Israeli inventor Mir, um, I can't, can't pronounce the name, uses land and water sensors smaller than a shoebox. And each costing $170 to measure seismic activity and wave motion. Thank you.
1: Okay, thanks. Thanks for that information. <laughs> That's not like something that actually uh, uh, looks for the threat of a tsunami specifically, but uh, we're talking about actually just using existing SMS technology to warn people around the world of something. Okay, it's taking the phone call. Good evening. You're on the air. Oh, one of those again.
0: Oh, wait, did, did, did we know ahead of time that, uh, that there was a tsunami and they just didn't get warning? Because, I, I mean,
1: there were There were there people in uh, certainly in the states who knew that uh, a tsunami was was uh, very likely if not uh, happening right then and there, and the problem was they didn 't have the phone numbers of the people to reach right. and uh, you know the, the The thing is the word tsunami is something that every language understands it 's one of those words that doesn 't have to be translated, so all you have to do is just say that word to people who are on shorelines and they 'll know what to do they 'll know get away they don 't yeah, run up to I the receding water and look at all the fish flopping around. Yeah. get your asses away from there just would have been nice to uh, get a message like that out alright sticking with phone call good evening you're on the air
5: hi uh, you were talking about CNN International um, I used to live in Korea and they would have CNN International on there all the time I don't know if that's the same broadcast that they have here. yes in the well
1: uh, actually I was watching CNN from Hong Kong before uh, earlier in the day so yeah it probably is the same feed
5: it's the same feed that they get here in the United
1: States uh, well that we, we get in some places here in the United States now yes
5: well all I can tell you, from my personal opinion, is that CNN International isn't pretty. It really isn't that much better than CNN regular. I mean, really? all the stories are edited. I mean, they're chopped, and
1: uh-huh.
5: I don't know. I tell you the truth, I didn't find it much more informative than anything else.
1: Well, I was flipping back and forth between domestic and, and I'll let international. You off
5: the radio. I'll okay,
1: go uh, I was flipping back and forth, and it just seems to me like the domestic broadcasts are just personality based. You know, Wolf Blitzer and. Uh, and, uh, you know, all these, all these people whose, whose names are forefront, those are the people that are bringing you the news, the news is secondary. Whereas if you, uh, if you watch the international feed, you don't know the names of the people who are bringing you the news, but it's interesting. It's not as good as BBC, and that's something I think we should be getting in this country, but it's something. Yeah, it's, it's not as good as it could be, but it's better than what we've had. Uh, let's take another phone call. Good the evening. The other
5: thing I've seen in international, and not surprisingly, is they, uh, they cover uh, events around the world... With the same, uh, the same amount of coverage as CNN U.S. just spends a very little time covering international events compared to, uh, what the, what's going on in the U.S. or from a U.S. perspective. CNN International really seems to have an international perspective and lends, lends, uh, viewpoints from around the world, not just a viewpoint of the United States, right. what's going on around the world.
1: Right you'll you'll see press conferences from different parts of the globe and you'll just know that things are happening whereas here you would never have any clue that things are happening other than within the 50 states.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sure no one outside of the U.S. heard anything about the Scott Peterson trial during.
1: Oh, it was so nice Mm -hmm. traveling and not hearing about about Scott Peterson. Even George W. Bush, you'd hear if he did something monumentally stupid or, you know, said something. Okay, fine, you hear those things, but you don't hear every little detail of every trip he's making and and what he's saying because it's really not all that important to the rest of the world. Whereas other things are, you know, massacres in Sudan and things like that. That's what people should be aware of. Anyway, the thing is, people in New York have the opportunity now at least to compare the two and let us know what you think, and let them know what you think. And good evening. You're on the air. Yes,
6: hi. Um, uh, who, who's the um, fellow in, uh, over there in uh, Thailand? Uh, is that Bernie? Yes. Yeah, yes, hi, Bernie. Uh, Hello. You're usually in Philadelphia, right? I'm sorry? Are you usually broadcasting from Philadelphia?
5: Yes, I'm usually in Philadelphia, but now I'm on uh, an island of, uh, called uh, Koh Chang, which is off the coast of Cambodia.
6: Great. Stay safe. Uh, one question that I have is that I heard that, and um, I've been reading on the Internet here and there, that uh, on the Honolulu Center for, um, you know, warning, whatever, they had noticed that there was an earthquake uh, measuring 8.0 and then an 8.5, and they had sent some warnings warnings out to certain people over there, certain departments, or maybe the Navy, et cetera, Um I think uh, i mean uh, if uh, this was had sent to the people of the country and uh, and they had sent it through these emails and fax and all that, we would have awarded a lot of debt um I think the system is uh, is is there it's just that it was not used. Uh, properly. Thanks a lot. Now hang up and listen.
1: Thank you guys. Okay. Well, we have pretty much made exactly the point that, uh, we've been making. And, um, yeah, it seems like we're learning a very, uh, sad lesson from all this. Yes, Jim.
4: Well, I've been interested in, in how people determined that there was a tsunami and, and how it, it wasn't transmitted to the people who could have benefited. First of all, the, the tsunami warning system covers the Pacific only. The warning that was sent early on after the earthquake went to this working group, uh, the equivalent of FEMA in a number of countries, the Navy, uh, a few other things, geologists, and none of them were in the affected areas or citizens of the affected areas. There is no mechanism in place to warn those people. There have been- And to be
1: fair, to
5: be fair, nothing like this has really ever happened. The, the Prime Minister here has said nothing like this has ever happened in Thailand in, in, in like, reported history. A hundred years um, so at
4: least.
5: Typically, tsunamis just do not happen in, uh, in the Indian Ocean. So, uh, you know, there really was no infrastructure here because people's grandparents here couldn't even remember something like this happening. So... Um, yeah, I guess they were just lulled into a sense of security
4: The the other thing I wanted to mention is that the expert on tsunamis arising from 8.0 or larger earthquakes actually didn't know that a tsunami had occurred until he heard early news reports about two hours after the earthquake ran to his office and started doing a simulation with software uh with data that he knew about the, the Indian Ocean floor uh, so it wasn't like there was an advance warning either
1: uh Bernie, what's uh what's going on over there? Sounds like a bit of a commotion. Uh
5: it's noisy because I'm uh, I'm on a ferry now, uh out in the Gulf of Thailand, heading uh from the island of Kochang to uh this small airstrip in track, which is uh really just a, a a hut with a grass roof, this airstrip. There's no uh there's not even a payphone there. <laughs> and uh, uh it's just a very unusual airport. They don't have uh, IFR instrument flight rating. It's all V F R visual flight rating. So you can't nobody there can land in light in, in in the nighttime or if there's a if it's foggy you just you just can't land by instruments there. And Bernie, how so, far uh, how right far right
1: how far out are you right now?
5: Uh just we're just just un, unhitched, un, undocked from the uh from the island. Okay. And, that's... Uh I'm now floating in the Gulf of Thailand.
1: That's good timing because we we have to go now. But you lot will lose your signal pretty soon if you're going to uh, go out on a boat ride like this. But uh, will you be back next week? Yes, I'll be back in
5: the U.S., uh, back in Philadelphia, and uh, have some more information about uh, what's going on in Thailand that we can talk about. And uh, this is amazing. We're able to pull this off. Where are you right now, Manuel?
1: I'm right here in New York City. I'm back. Oh, you got back
5: already? I got I back. You were yes. Still, uh, I thought you were still abroad yourself.
1: No, no, I'm I'm um, back here. Well,
5: good. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm pleased that we were able to pull this off, and uh, it's a testament to what can be accomplished with technology, uh, bringing people together. And uh, let's hope it can be used for uh, even more important things, like uh, warning people of impending natural disasters.
1: And again, if if you can contribute anything to our, our listeners, please contribute everything you can to the tsunami relief fund, because uh, this is probably uh, the worst natural catastrophe uh, that uh, we will ever witness. Let's hope so, anyway. Bernie, uh, best of luck to you, and uh, we'll see you, or we'll hear from you in the studio next week. It's Manuel Goldstein for everybody else here at Off the Hook. Have yourselves a good night. We'll see you next week.